0: welcome to everyone and we're so happy to have you this evening and especially if you're a guest we want to welcome you tonight and uh, again i know that this morning for those of you that were here was not the norm and tonight's not been the norm either but quite honestly hopefully we never just have the norm Even if we do the things we normally do, that doesn't mean it has to be the norm. I normally kiss my wife every day. But it's not just the norm. I get to kiss my wife. Sorry, kids, my apologies, but close your ears. So, amen. And then if you're watching us online, welcome. We pray that you're blessed by this service this evening as well. Amen. Would you stand? And now that you've stood, so that hopefully I've got your attention a little fresh and anew, Brother and Sister uh, Brown are hosting, uh, I think it's our first or our second, um, geographical prayer meeting this Friday evening at 7 p.m. And uh, as of now, they have not gotten any response for that prayer meeting. And so the commitment I've made to those that host is if no one just signs up, we'll get some help. So they can handle about 10 people. I wonder if I could get some folks that this coming Friday night, you don't have to live in Bowie, but you'd be willing to go to Brother and Sister Brown's house and join with them for a little while. And pray for Bowie and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and souls to be saved. I know I'm catching you spur of the moment here. I saw a hand. Can I get a couple more hands? It'd be awesome to have at least about seven or eight people uh, there Friday evening to uh, be a part of that. All right. I think we've. I think we're there. So, Brother Brown, I know probably everybody that raised their hand knows you, but wave your hand, please. If you need more details or info about that, you can talk to Brother and Sister Brown. Amen. First Samuel chapter thirty. First Samuel. I uh, I've had about four or five people at least. It it may be a few more that have communicated, and and many of them have used uh, the same word in the course of their communication. But that is that, that there has been a shift at some point here in the last little while, that something in the Spirit has shifted. And I believe that with all of my heart. And I believe what we are experiencing, again, is simply the, the, the beginning stages of what that's all about. And I feel like the message God gave me last Sunday night was, it was an encouraging, uh, positive message. And uh, I, I was kind of just expecting more of that same vein this evening. But I, I I really feel like the Lord has given me something that is very important for us as a congregation as we continue to move forward into what God has for us. Because here's 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 the bottom line, folks: the devil cannot, absolutely cannot stop God's plan. If he could have, he would have done that a long time ago. And so the devil can't stop God's plan. In some ways, I think probably I could say nothing can stop God's plan. The issue is who is eventually going to be a part of that. One way or the other, God's going to do what he promised he would do. Just a matter of who participates. But I know, and I would say especially within the context of a local congregation... That we have the ability, maybe not to stop what God wants to do, but we have the ability to hinder it. And so, there's something for the last couple of days I've had on my heart, and uh, it's it's not going to be. It's not that it's bad or negative, but it's I'm just telling you off the bat. It's not going to be probably running the aisles and high fiving and chest bumping and all of that. But I, I really believe it's what the Lord has given me for this evening. So First Samuel 30 and verse 1, and I'm going to read uh, several verses. So if you will be patient with me as I read. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the, one, the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. This isn't the message, but I, I want to say this hopefully to help somebody. Just because God lets the devil take your stuff doesn't mean he's going to let the devil destroy your stuff. They're not the same thing. Some of you got some things you seem to have lost at this point, and I think you've given up hope on them. God may have allowed the devil to take them from you for a while, but he's given him specific instructions. You can take it, but you can't destroy it. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of the people of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters and this next part is not the message but it's another point that you need to get because sometimes the phone's not going to ring sometimes there's not going to be a text message or an email but sometimes you got to do what David did and encourage yourself in the Lord. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Somebody say all. So David went. He and the 600 men that were with him came to the brook Besor where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued. He And four hundred men, for two hundred abode behind, which were so faint they could not go over the brook Besor. I want to preach to you tonight on this subject, pursuers and stayers reap. The benefits. Pursuers and stayers reap the benefits. Father, I trust to the best of my ability to this point, I have followed the leading of your spirit, what I have felt led for this service this evening and I put that in your hands. And now, I trust God that I will continue to the best of my ability to hear and deliver what I believe you've given me for this evening. I thank you so much, God, for what you're doing in this congregation. People are getting baptized, getting the Holy Ghost, prodigals are coming home. There is a sense of unity that is growing and developing even more, and I thank you for all of that. But God, we're not going to take for granted that we've got everything in order and everything in place and we can just put it on cruise control because there is an enemy that's looking for every opportunity to get a foothold to try to at least slow down what you're doing. So I pray, God, that in this place tonight speak to us as a congregation. Let us hear what you would have to say to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I trust you on you tonight Father in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I've used these verses before this passage. I've heard others preach this passage and a lot of times the focus of the passage is one of the verses I pointed out to you. And what a wonderful message and if it's what the Lord is saying then so be it. And that you will recover all. We are, we should be encouraged and uplifted by that. I read that verse. One, I read that verse this afternoon at the little groundbreaking ceremony. The other verse I read fits in as well, where through the prophet Joel, the Lord said, everything, the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm is destroyed. I, I will restore. I, I, again, this isn't the message, but while I'm on it, I, is there anybody here tonight that you can testify to the fact that there's some things that I'm not talking about from your years before your walk with God, but since your walk with God, there's some things the enemy has stolen for a season, but God has restored them. Any Anybody can testify to that tonight? I I want to focus on a little bit different part of this story this evening. What a tragic situation it was for David and his men to come back and find that their wives and their children had been taken. That they burned their possessions and stole possessions. And David's a little bit nervous that... Everybody's going to turn against him. And so, as the Scripture says, he went to the man of God and he inquires of him about what to do. And he asks of the Lord what to do. Will Should we go? Should we go and try to recover? And the Lord's response to David is, you will go and you will recover all. And so there were 600 men, as the Scripture said, with David. 600 men that were fighting with David, but now the instruction is to go and to recover what had been stolen. And so as David is about to go do that, the Bible says that out of that 600 men... There was a group of them that were so faint. They were so weary. They were so worn out that they couldn't even cross the brook. Forget going with everybody to go fight. They didn't even have the strength to just cross the brook. Now, I, I hope I get a little more, you know, not not do what the bishop talked about last night to manufacture it. But, you know, I hope a little bit of that <sighs> genuine anointing comes <sighs> on. But I, I can't promise you I'm going to do any more than this this evening. And I'm begging you again. I know, know it's been a long weekend for a lot of you. Um, but I, I, I really feel like the Lord wants to say something to us tonight that we really need to hear as a congregation, so that we can experience all that God has for us. So David and 400 men, the implication is that of these 200 men, no doubt they had wives and children and possessions that had been taken. They were in the same category as everybody else and lost greatly. But when David goes to fight for the possessions and bring back their wives and children, 200 of them, 200, there's only 600, not like there was 10,000, I mean 10,000 of them and 200 stay behind, that's... There's only 600. A third of them are too weary to go to the battle and fight. So David and the 400 go. And as God said, what happened, it happened. They recovered all. All of their wives, all of their children, all of their possessions. They recovered all. But watch what happens when they return. Verse number 17. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. The 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 modern day translation would say he put a whooping on them. And there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men which rode upon camels and fled. So the the only Enemy that escaped was those that had a camel to ride on. The rest of them, he smote them from twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small or great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. There was not one single thing lost. Of everything that had been taken, not one single thing was lost. They recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle and said, This is David's spoil. And David came to the two hundred men which were so faint that they could not follow David whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. So here's David and the 400 men and the wives and the children and the possessions that had been taken. They are now returning back to where the 200 were. And the 200 apparently have regained enough strength to get up and come out and greet the 400 and all of the things that they were bringing back. David saluted them. David greeted them. But watch what happened. All 600 had fought together. All 600 returned to Ziklag and shared in the loss of family and possessions. All of them. But four hundred go to fight the battle, to recover what was stolen. And when they come back, I want you to see what their attitude was. Then answered all the wicked men and men of of Belial, of those that went with David and said... Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have covered. Say to every man his wife and his children that they may lead them away and depart. The only thing we're going to let them have is their family. All the other possessions that we have recovered, it doesn't matter if any of it was theirs or not. All we're going to let them have, all we want them to have, is their wife and their kids. Because we went and fought. We went and put our lives on the line. We exerted our energy. I'm sure out of that 400, there was some of them that were tempted to just sit and stay as well. But for whatever reasons, unlike the 200, they pushed past that to be a part of going and recovering what had been stolen. But something happened, something got in their heart, something got in their attitude. Because rather than coming back with a rejoicing attitude that says God has protected all of our stuff and we are thrilled to bring it all back, they say the only people that should be able to enjoy the spoils are those of us that went to fight. I... I don't know if you really get where I'm going. I think a few of you got your, your guards up, and you probably some of the ones that ought to be helping me the most, because I'm preaching to help you tonight. Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. Those that stayed by the stuff and didn't go to the battle because they were too weary and too worn out to go. They're going to get their share just like those that went and fought the battle. They're not going to get Mistreated, They're not going to get any single thing that belongs to them taken from them because they didn't have the energy and the strength to go out and fight. They get their stuff just like you got your stuff even though you went out and fought the battle to bring it back. And watch what the next verse says. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel. Israel unto this day. That implies to me what he was saying was every time there's a battle, every time we engage in a war, there's going to be those that are a part of us. They're not backslidden. They're not backsliding. They are a part of us. But they don't have at this moment the strength and the strength Stamina to go out with us and to fight and to take back what belongs to us and to them And so here's what we're going to do no matter who goes or who doesn't go Whatever is recovered everybody get what gets what belongs to them They may have sat by the stuff and not raised one hand in the battle But they get their part just as everybody else does Just like it was amongst these men, there is an attitude and a spirit that wants to creep into the church, and we want to start keeping score. Well, maybe it's going to get a little more fired up than I thought. We want to start keeping track. We want to start notching our guns, putting notches on our guns. This is a bigger subject than just a 30-second touching on it. And I know I'm not in the majority with this, but I I struggle with the term soul winners. In fact, there's men greater than I that use the term, but I'm just going to be honest, I don't really think it's a biblical principle. And the reason that I don't is because the problem with soul winners is we give soul winners the credit for who they won. And we line up the row of all of the people they won. Well, Paul said it this way. Some sow. Some water. But God, not you, not me, God gives the increase. Why? So that God and God alone gets the glory. Back, I believe it was August, David and Andrew Atkinson reached out to the church, showed up on a Thursday night to get baptized, got baptized. You don't see them very often just because of challenges and circumstances they're dealing with. There's a good chance they're watching right now or will be watching later because numerous times they've requoted things that were said in the church service. Which is why we can't judge what God is doing by who's in the building. I think it's important to be in the building. But there's way more that God's doing that you can't see by what goes on in these four walls. I was meeting with him a couple of weeks ago. been meeting with him. Once every week or two, pretty much on average, I said it to them as I was sitting there. I forget the real reason it came up, but I made the point to them: I can't take credit for you two guys. They, they, they sit, they've sat in my office now several times, and and stuff comes out of their mouths like they like they've been in the ministry for thirty years. I can't. I can't. I can't take credit for that. You know what I've been doing the last couple of months I've just been watering. I just been what I don't know who put the seed in the ground. I don't know who planted the seed, but I can't notch them in my spiritual gun because look who I won. I didn't win them. I was just news to water a little bit. Because when it happens that way, you and I can't get puffed up for how awesome we are. We have to step back and say, to God be the glory. There is an attitude and a spirit the enemy wants to creep in with. I'll just—I'll I'll use a real practical present tense example. Some of you have been here Sat Friday night. You were here at leadership meeting. Leadership meeting. Friday. You were here at United yesterday. You were in service. Many of you involved in some form of ministering this morning. Here you are tonight. And then there's others. You were here this morning, you're here tonight. Some of you are here tonight, you haven't been to any other service this weekend. Well, i not trying to whatever, but I'll whatever. I wasn't at the leadership meeting. We were at the rehearsal for uh, Zach and Alexa. I was there yesterday morning. I was up here about 8.30 for the cleanup day. I left here about 11.15 to go home and get dressed to go to a wedding, left the wedding, ran home, changed clothes to come to church. I, I, I got no brownie points for that. Because if I'm doing what Paul says, I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice, and no matter how much I do, it's reasonable. But the problem is the enemy knows exactly how to come in in the moment when you've had a weekend like that, and then there's others that don't do squats. Well they they don't deserve they they don't deserve God they don't no no because for one thing you better mark it down you may be in the 400 today you may be in the 400 today that's fired up ready to go cuz you're all mad about what's been taken but I prophesy there's going to be a day where you're going to be in the 200. And you're not going to have what it takes to go out and fight the battle and regain what belongs to you. And so you need to do some good sowing when you've got the strength and the energy to go do it. Because someday you're going to want somebody to go out and fight for you, but you still get what belongs to you. If that attitude and spirit could take a hold of this congregation, there is no limit to what God can do in and through us. If we're going to get caught up in competition and resumes and taking credit and glory for things, then we put a cap on it all. But if we can all step back and say, when I've got what it takes to do it, I'm going to do it. If I've got to stay by the stuff sometime, I'm going to stay by the stuff sometime. But one way or the other, we're going to recover. And we're going to get back. And everybody is going to reap the benefits. Watch this. Acts chapter starting in Acts chapter eleven. That's where you start hearing our Barnabas and Saul mentioned. Acts eleven. Several times from Acts eleven until Acts thirteen, you find Barnabas and Saul referenced. Barnabas and Saul. But then, in Acts 13 and 43, from that point on, it now becomes Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. It went from Barnabas being the first name and Saul being the second, to now Barnabas becomes second to Paul. You and I need to make sure that if your name's the first name being called, to God be the glory. But if somebody else's name start getting called ahead of your name, to God be the glory. If you're in a season of getting credit for what you've done and the investment you've made, to God be the glory. But if you're now in the season of supporting somebody else and their name gets called and your name is either second or third or doesn't get called at all, to God be the glory. all throughout I preached this before I preached what I just said before I preached what I'm about to say before. If you got a concordance or Bible software, Go, 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 go sometime and, and, and just type the word we, W-E. And look at how many times in the book of Acts the word we is used. I don't know how many times it is exactly, but what I can tell you is there are a lot of times in the book of Acts where the word we is used. And one of those things that stood out to me several years ago now. We preach about Paul being shipwrecked. We celebrate Paul being shipwrecked and surviving. And the whole story of him going to the captain of the ship saying we shouldn't sail. And, and it's ignored. And the south wind blows gently as a confirmation to the to the captains of the ship, it's okay to sail, and they sail, and sure enough, the storm comes, and the boat's destroyed, and and, 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 and they, they survive. Everyone survived. What we, Paul, the yeah, Paul, Paul. But read that story. Because when you read that story, you will find we, You'll find we were shipwrecked. That story was not told by Paul in the first person. That story was told by someone else who didn't even identify themselves. I know we shouted and ran the aisles last night, last Sunday night, but I'm, I'm in the Holy Ghost tonight just as much as I was last Sunday night. That person never one time identified themselves as being in the shipwreck with Paul. And yet they were there because it talks about we. Who was that we? Everybody ought to be able to yell that out. Lord have mercy, we need a new grow class on who wrote Acts. This wasn't planned, but I i guess I need to read this for some of y'all. Just, here we go. Acts chapter 1. The former treatise have I made of O, Theophil- o Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to, both to do and teach, and till the day... Etc., etcetera, etc. Cetera, cetera. I thought it was there in that first verse. My my that's what I get for getting a little cocky. Some of y'all said it, say it again. Luke. Some of y'all didn't say it the first time, you didn't know it. Now say it like you knew it. There we go. Luke. Luke. I've never heard one message preached about Luke being shipwrecked. Oh, Lord. I think I need a little water. I've never heard one message preached about Luke. Not one time have I ever heard somebody preach about Luke surviving shipwreck, But we, I think the scripture says a day and a night, we, we, we. You know, there's a lot. Paul, obviously, one of the greatest characters of all of Scripture. But let me tell you something. There's some other characters that are just as significant and just as much heroes that are overlooked because they had a supporting role and were absolutely content in the supporting role. Had there not been a Jonathan, David may not have gotten to the throne. The reason, or part of the reason, or one of the things, God probably would have found something else, but one of the things God used to get David to the throne was a Jonathan. I I preach one time to y'all all all month. There's no church next Sunday night, so I'm going to bank on a little bit of my time from next week. Jonathan had every right to expect the throne. And therefore, it would have been totally understandable from a fleshly perspective if Jonathan would have worked against David. And yet, Jonathan did everything in his power... To support the very one who was taking what he had the right to expect. Thank God for the Apostle Paul. But thank God there was somebody that was willing to just identify themselves in the we. Never call a name. Never bring attention to themselves. You know, I learned something years ago. People will tell you a whole lot about what they care about by telling you what they don't care about. If you don't care about a title or a position, why do you need to continually tell someone? I've had it many times through the years. Oh, I'm, I'm not after. I don't care about a title or position, Pastor. Okay, great. A couple of weeks later, I don't. I don't care about a title or a position, Pastor. Okay, why do we keep talking about what you don't care about? I don't talk about what I don't care about because I'm not thinking about it. I talk about what I think about because I think about what I care about. I'm not saying every time somebody says something, the opposite is all. I'm not saying that. But I'm going to tell you, when people have a pattern of saying the same thing over and over, what they don't care about, they're really telling you what they care about. They just don't have the guts to tell you what they care about. (laughs) Luke didn't care about a reputation. Luke didn't care about credit for what was taking place in Acts. Barnabas didn't care about credit. Barnabas didn't care about the fact he went from being Barnabas and Saul to now being Paul and Barnabas. If God's called you to be the Paul, be Paul. If God's called you to be David, be David. But if God's called you to be a Luke, be Luke And be content. If God's called you to be a Jonathan and support a David, be Jonathan and be content. And when David gets the credit and you don't get any credit, be content that you were who God called you to be. And it's not about who did what. It's about the fact that each of us did what God called us to do. Second Samuel nine. I'm going to read. You're seated, so it doesn't matter now. But I'm going to read a, I'm gonna Read this whole chapter. It's only thirteen verses. But David said, "Is there yet not? Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake." You see, sometimes you get uh, your credit. And recognition, post—what is that term? Post—post mortem. Post—something. Posthumous, right? After you die. I was trying to sound educated, and it just wasn't working. I've heard it more and more these last several years, and I'm, on the, I'm in a fully agreement with it. Why, why do we wait till somebody's dead to tell them how much we loved them? But let me tell you something. There's a really good chance in the kingdom your real credit is not going to come until you're gone. Oh, I, I hope every person in this, if you're in leadership, at the very least, I'll say, if you're in leadership, I hope you're listening to me. I hope you're not just tuning me out, just waiting to get to the end of the service. Because somebody here tonight, this this, this very message could be a part of your salvation. I'm not trying to be dramatic here. I'm just telling you what I believe and what I feel. Jonathan is dead. He's gone. But David wants to show him kindness. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Zeba, and when they had called him unto David, the king said, unto him art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the, show the kindness of God unto him? And Zeba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Zeba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Makir the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then king David sent, and fetched him out of the house of Machir the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David... He fell on his face and did reverence, and David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant, and David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually." And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou should look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, my master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Zebo were servants under Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. You see, if you don't really know the whole story, some of this doesn't really have the impact that it should, because As verse number 13 says, Mephibosheth was lame. What good is all kinds of land and farm potential if you can't work it? (laughs) But the king didn't just give him the land, he gave him all the laborers to take care of the land. How was it, why was it that Mephibosheth was lame on both his feet? Because as a young child, in a time of turmoil, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I thought I added the verses to read them, and I forgot to put them in there. But in a time of turmoil, Mephibosheth's nurse, caretaker, scooped him up because of a battle that was going on. And in the process of fleeing with him, she dropped him and he was injured. He wasn't born crippled. He wasn't born lame on his feet. It was something that happened a little ways into his life. He didn't have the means to provide for himself. The scripture doesn't really say, to my knowledge, but I think the implication is Mephibosheth was living probably a life of just sort of barely getting by. Just surviving. And seemingly out of nowhere, the king calls Mephibosheth to his house and Tells him, I'm going to bless you for the sake of your Father, and I'm going to give you all this land. And and then another interesting thing, he tells him he's going to give him all this land so that he's got plenty of food to eat, but then he says, you're not going to eat that food. You're going to come sit and eat at my table. I, I don't know the extent of his condition. I don't know if he could walk some... But it was very difficult. I don't know if he couldn't walk at all. had to be carried. But the king said, You are going to eat at my table. You see, in the process of getting to the table, we can sort of identify the weak and the strong. In the process of getting to the table... We can recognize various abilities. But here's the thing. Once you get to the table, and you pull up under the table, everything under the table is no longer seen. Whether you came with crippled legs or completely whole legs... Once you get to the table, once you sit at the king's table, everybody is viewed equally. You better be careful that you may have gotten to the table on your own strength and ability. And somebody else may have gotten carried to the table. But once you pull up and start to eat, we are all the same. It's no more big I's and little U's when you get to the table. There shouldn't be any more big egos when you get to the table. Because whether I got to the table by myself, or somebody else brought me to the table, once I get to the table, I'm going to eat just like everybody else eats. But here's something else. Mephibosheth was being blessed and rewarded with nothing to do with himself. Had nothing to do with his own accomplishments. There was somebody in his past that was being honored. And you know what? There may be some crippled people, figuratively speaking, that get carried into this body. You better be careful how you treat them. Because you don't know who their mama and their daddy is. And God may very well be blessing them for the sake of things that are owed to those in their heritage. I I don't know if I'm really making sense or getting, I'm not, I'm, I'm really not trying to fish, but I'm. Let me tell you this. I don't, again, I don't know. If you, if you know, I probably not really appropriate to yell it out right now. Maybe it is. I don't really care. But I, I don't, again, I don't know of really a clear description of Mephibosheth's condition, of what the extent of him being lame on his feet was. I, I think, I think it might be safe to assume that he had to have some assistance. And that even though the king decided he was a regular at the table. Oh, Jesus. Even though the king decided he was to be a regular at the table, he always, potentially, had to have help getting there. God, have mercy on a person that God has put in a position of leadership that you reach a point for those that can't carry themselves, that you decide to abandon them because they can't get themselves to a table. I believe it was brother JT Pugh, if I'm not mistaken I heard make the statement we carry those we can't heal and again I know many of you were or a lot of you weren't in here this morning some of you you were in the building but you were in Sunday school and others were in other daughter works other congregations this morning God did some powerful things there was I believe there was some healing inner healing that took place in some lives today. But I'm just going to tell you, and please hear me as the pastor of this congregation, there may be some that never quite get healed. That we need to make up our minds if the only way you can get to the table is somebody's got to carry you. I'm going to get you to the table. Because Just because I can get to the table by myself doesn't mean that I'm better than you. Just because I've got determination to go to the table doesn't make me better than you. If you're lame on your feet, but you're supposed to be at the table, I'm going to help you get to the table. And when I get to the table, I'm not going to lord it over you that I help you get to the table. I'm going to put my healthy legs under the table where you put your lame legs under the table. And we're going to look at each other equally because ultimately it's all about the king. Matthew eighteen 21. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation because it just puts a few things in better perspective. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. I got a question. I, I, that I don't think that number was intended to be a literal number that you're supposed to be checking off. Some of you need to go delete your spreadsheet file. Quit accounting for the offenses people have made against you. Well, so and so better be careful. They're at four seventy-five. They only got 15 more times, and I'm, I'm finished. I don't have to do it anymore. I think the bottom line is, if you're counting, you haven't forgiven. I think that was tweetable. So I'll say it again. If you're counting how many times you've forgiven, you have not forgiven. Because when you truly forgive, what is there to count? No, 70 times, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Really, it's this verse right here, pretty much, and the, and, and, and the other one that talks about the other guy that the reason I'm reading the new living translation, because the King James' is terms we just don't process today. One of his debtors who, who was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. There it is. is. You would think this man would have went and thrown a party and celebrated. You would have think he would have gone and had a serious praise break over the Thanksgiving of what had just been done in his life. But watch what happens. When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He had just been forgiven a debt of millions. And he finds someone that owes him a couple of thousand. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. Kind of sounds like verse 26. The very words he said, he is now hearing as an appeal to him. And watch what he does. Millions forgiven. Thousands owed. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid and all... That is really dumb. He can't. He can't pay. Doesn't have the means to pay. But you're going to throw him in jail where he can't work until he pays. M- makes a, makes a whole lot of sense. Kind of like giving everybody checks for thousands of dollars. I hope everybody here that's gotten a stimulus check is smart enough to know that was not charity. I mean, I'm not saying if you got it, don't use it, but it wasn't charity. You're going to give it back. They're going to squeeze it out of you. Uh, I better not stay on that. He had the man arrested, put into prison... Till he could pay the debt. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father... Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. There are people that are sitting in this room right now, Holy Ghost filled people, that you have got unforgiven sins. But the sad thing is, it's sins that you have previously been forgiven of but because you won't forgive somebody else probably for something lesser than what God has forgiven you of, He now holds that against you again. I can't I have no explanation, maybe somebody here does, but I have no explanation as to why that man who was forgiven millions of dollars would turn around to somebody else that only owed him a couple of thousand and refuse to give what he had just received. I don't, I just don't really, I, you would think he would have looked at that guy and said, absolutely, whenever you can do it, do it. No problem. That's what you think would have been the response, but it wasn't. And can I tell you, some of the most unforgiving saints are ones that God has forgiven the most. Some of the most judgmental people are ones that that have received the most mercy. You better be careful when you don't give to others what's been given to you. You better be careful when you don't give others the same mercy that's been given to you. But again, most of us, the debt that He has forgiven us of, compared to what somebody's done to you, Back to that 490. I got a question. I got a question. I really would like, if somebody's willing, I mean, if you can to, I won't judge you. Somebody else might, but I won't. Is there anybody here that you are anywhere close to somebody doing something to you 490 times? So, I mean, the bottom line is, even if that was a literal number, most of us never get there, anywhere near there. And what's sad is, some of us are only on about the third or fourth time and have decided, I ain't forgiven. Oh, hallelujah. Last night, last Sunday night was really enjoyable. I enjoyed preaching last Sunday night. There's some some precious folks here tonight that God has shown you some mercy. I'm not talking about when you. I'm talking about after you got saved. I ain't talking about. I'm not talking BC. I'm talking things, mistakes you've made, failures you've had after salvation that God has chosen to cover. How sad is it when we have got things in our lives that we know God has chosen to keep covered and we make it our point to go revealing somebody else's stuff. I got things I'll take to my grave with me that my wife doesn't know. Some of you think just cuz it's your spouse you got a right to tell it. No. Love covers. Love covers. Resentment uncovers. Anger uncovers. Jealousy uncovers. Envy uncovers. Love covers. Love hides a multitude of sins, not to make excuses, not for somebody to get away with it, but for God to have the opportunity to deal with it. For you and I to presume to uncover what God has decided to cover. Is there a person in this sanctuary tonight that if it was possible to play every thought you've ever had over the PA system. Is there any person here that would be okay with that? Of course, we do know that as long as we just think it and never say it, it's okay. If all we do is imagine it. Okay. Well, Jesus said if you look on a woman and lust after her in your heart, you No, that's not the same thing as grounds just because I've heard I know we got the younger kids. So I'll try to be careful, but I'm just going to throw this out there. That's not a, a an automatic excuse if you're in a relate if you're in a marriage Typically, it's the male. It's not always, but typically, if the male has had an issue with pornography, that's not your out for the marriage. You're automatic out for the marriage. The bottom line is, God knows what's going on in our minds, and there's not one single person, including me, <laughs> that would want every thought that I've had. To be played for all to hear. Why is it that we appreciate that so much from God? But we can be so quick to go tell somebody else's stuff. If you've been forgiven much, you ought to love much. If God has shown great mercy to you, you ought to show great mercy to others. And don't forget, the scripture says, a righteous man falls. A righteous man falls, but he gets back up. You will never reach a level of maturity in your walk with God that you no longer stumble. You will never reach a place in your walk with God that you will no longer fall. And the moment you think you've gotten there, you've already fallen. Because the chances are you've just now deceived yourself so badly you don't even recognize what is really going on. Go. Recover all. And everyone. Shares in the benefit. If we can join together as a body and make up our minds, if I am blessed to be in the 400 who can go out and fight and recover what is lost. if we can make up our minds that I'm still willing to share with my brothers and sisters who didn't have the strength to go fight, who didn't have the ability to go out and be a part of the process of recovering. No, I probably don't even, hopefully don't even need to say this, but that this isn't about preaching an excuse. It's not about preaching an excuse. Hey, I'm just too tired. I'm staying with the stuff. No, that's not. But It is about the fact there will always, there will always be those who are a part of us that can't do what you're doing. May not have the strength and the ability, but when we have a victory, we all celebrate In the victory. We all partake in the benefits of that victory. I I wish Brother Richards was here this evening. He he's still working on trying to get his strength back. And I don't know, maybe he's watching. I have no idea. But but as I was feeling this message tonight, both both Brother Ron Richards and brother Brother Bishop, Brother Richard Bishop. You, you two men came to mind especially. I, I, I hope we prayed and I'm not going to stop praying, Brother Bishop, that God restores your health. I'm going to, I'm going to keep believing and trusting for that. But I'm just going to, just, just please hear me tonight, Brother Bishop. And there's, there's a few others that are, you could, you're kind of in a similar category. Forgive me if I don't specifically call your name. But those promises you believe for, there's going to be 400 guys, uh, 400 people. I don't mean, I don't mean gender specific. There's going to be figuratively 400 that eventually recover. And if God never does restore your health, you'd have just as much of a part and a celebration in that. And part of the reason of that is... I am certain that those 200 men, in fact, I think the reason the 200 men were in the condition they were in is because they had fought in previous battles and were worn out. So they may not be able to go to the next immediate battle, but part of the reason some of us can go to the next battle is because of those 200 that are now staying by the stuff. They helped us to get to where we are now! Every single Holy Ghost-filled purpose person ought to be involved with souls. Every single Holy Ghost-filled person ought to be involved with ministering to souls. And that doesn't automatically be, mean lost souls. We have, I preached it, taught it a while ago. We've got two primary things. You can summarize, I think, everything we're supposed to do into two things, equip and evangelize. Equip and evangelize. It is a continual cycle that never ends. We're not just here to evangelize the world. We're not here to just go reach all the lost with marriages. Some marriages that right now, if God doesn't intervene, they're not going to make it. There's gotta be some equipping. There's gotta be some, some, in, some instructing, some mentoring, some helping that goes on. So I'm not saying everybody ought to be involved in souls and you need to be beaten down the door of the lost every, some of you God's gifted you to go find a backslider and some of you God's gifted to you to help, help those that are struggling and know how to speak a word and know how to speak a word of encouragement. But the bottom line is we should all have to have a title or a position we should all be involved with touching souls ministering to souls i'm here tonight as the pastor of this congregation to declare to you there's sometimes we're going to go fight and those that are a part of us those that are among us that are just as much a part as you are don't have what it takes i don't know where he went i may be staring at him but he was in here earlier. Not to tell on him, but I know he loves me, so he'll be alright. It was only just a week or two at the most, I think, after Brother Whaley passed away. One Sunday morning after service. I was in the back talking to a few people, and Brother Johnson walked up to me, said, right, can I see you for a minute. I said, yes, sir finished up with those I was talking to and we went into my office and I sat down, he sat down across from me he said, I I just gotta tell you I'm not doing good I'm struggling with losing my friend I just, I don't feel like worshiping I don't feel like, man, I don't I didn't look across my desk at Brother Johnson and say, suck it up. Get over yourself. You know what? Some of us have got to go get some stuff back. You stay here. You get your strength back. You get rested up not just going to go get our stuff. I got your back. When I go get my stuff, I'm not going to steal your stuff. I'm going to get my stuff and I'm going to bring your stuff. Because again, there's a really good chance there's going to be a day I need to say to Brother Johnson, you know what, Brother Johnson, I just don't feel like it today. if we would really be more mindful of what we are sowing, that alone would probably affect a lot of our actions. If when someone was in need and I looked at that moment as the fact I am sowing and one day I may be in the same position they are in. don't tell everything I know including to my own wife is because I'm not above making mistakes and if one day I have a big failure but I'm really trying to overcome it I'd like to be able to find somebody and be honest and transparent with them and know What I just said is not going anywhere else. (laughs) That's another one of those things. It's okay for you to go tell everybody else's stuff. But you find out somebody told your stuff. And you go through the roof. Wait, wait a minute. You reap what you sow. Every time you go telling stuff about somebody, every time you sit around with your friends and have a conversation about somebody that's not in the room, you are sowing and you will reap. The problem is, like them, they may never know you were talking about them. You may never know everybody else is talking about you. preached this a couple weeks ago i'll just say it again the same people that'll sit there and talk to somebody talk to you about somebody else will go to somebody else and talk to them about you you think you're so special because they're sitting there running down somebody else to you no no it's good preaching brother right it really is I don't even have next Sunday night to look forward to. The pursuers and the stayers all reap the benefits. Brother Sister Philippic, I know you haven't been... officially a part of us for very long but I think think this message applies to you guys as well you may not have the strength to pursue anymore brother Philippe like you used to have but the stayers reap the benefits just I don't really feel at this point to give an altar call, but I do think we need to. I think we need to talk to the Lord for a few moments here. I said it before I started preaching, I believe there is a shift. that doesn't mean we just get caught up in what we're doing and where we're going and overlook the fact there are some things that the Spirit of the Lord still wants to tweak and fine-tune and adjust here and there. Father, I pray tonight for my brothers and sisters, everyone that's a part of this congregation, Lord, don't let that same attitude that got a hold of the 400 get a hold of us. Don't let that same resentment and bitterness as they looked at those that hadn't fought. In light of the effort they had gone through, they didn't want them to experience the same thing. God, I pray that there would be an atmosphere in this congregation. I pray that there would be a climate that we would have here. That we would always have compassion for those that may be in a season of needing to stay. Because they don't have the strength to go forward. by your grace help us to look at those that may be staying with the stuff as we go out to pursue help us to look at them through eyes of grace mercy compassion reasons, Lord, but for one selfish reason, help us to be that way because there's going to be some point in our future where we're probably going to be a part of the group that doesn't have the strength and the stamina to go fight. So therefore, we will be in a position of needing to reap. God, help us to have sown good seeds. Lord, I pray tonight, if there's any element of competition that has taken hold in any of our lives in this congregation, I pray tonight, God, that you would cleanse us, purge us from that. If you choose, God, for us to be the Paul that is named and everybody knows, if you choose for us to be the David who gets to sit on the throne, let us do that with a right attitude and a right spirit. But, God, if you choose for us to be a Luke, if you choose for us to be a Jonathan, choose for us to be a Stephen help us to be content to not allow jealousy and envy and strife contention to find any foothold in our hearts that would potentially be a stumbling block to our salvation the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for those Mephibosheths that are already a part of us, but also for the ones that will come in the future. I pray, God, that the attitude and the spirit of this congregation would always be a willingness to To carry those to the table that may not have the strength to get to the table by themselves. To not resent that. To not to make them feel bad for that. But to realize that just because I can get to the table on my own strength doesn't make me any more worthy to sit at your table than the person that needs to be carried there. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, I, I know this has been a bit of a different day, morning and evening, but just just another moment, please. I know we're not rocking and rolling. I know we're not screaming and hollering, but I really believe that the Spirit of the Lord is doing something deep in this place individually if we'll let him but also collectively so that we can go as a congregation where he wants to take us Father I pray really a similar principle the spirit of the elder brother would have no place this congregation God that when you bring prodigals home restore them that rather than being out in the field upset and angry because we've been faithful to your house and we never got a party we never got a celebration that we would be right in the middle of the celebration and rejoicing for those who have come back home We don't want it just to be the love of the Father that is poured upon the prodigal. Let it be the love of the elder brother as well. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. say to somebody tonight who's been in a season of being one of those in the 200 that didn't have what it took to go out and fight and recover. It's not always going to be that way. Just be patient. There's coming a day God's going to strengthen and restore. Then you will be in that four hundred. Somebody else will be in that two hundred. In Jesus' name. Just, just another moment. I realize you may not see it or feel it, but I can there's there's a few people that the Holy Ghost is doing something right now and at the risk of you being. Ready to go and done. I, I'm going to preserve this atmosphere for just another moment. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus arab o this congregation, whether we're in the 400 that's out fighting on the front lines, or if we're in the 200 that had to stay back to recover, we will all share in the victory. We will all share in the accomplishments of what you do in us and of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus I'm not going to officially dismiss but if you need to go, want to go, you can go I'm also not going to ask that you just get your stuff and leave without talking but I, I would ask if you would to kind of at least just kind of keep the volume down I'm okay with you fellowshipping if you choose to fellowship or talk to somebody but can we just again there's there's a couple of you that really holding off doing this because God's still doing something in you but I, I just I feel like it's time for those that want to go to go if you could at least just be mindful of that.